Warning, this audio contains content that some may find disturbing or triggering. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, the National Hotline for Sexual Assault is 1-800-656-4673. That number is 1-800-656-4673. This episode is dedicated to those who we have lost and the courageous people who continue to fight another day. Your story matters, you matter, and you are loved. and I am the current Diversity and Inclusion Director for Washburn Student Government Association. And welcome to the Your WSGA podcast, created by students for students. This is the fifth episode of this season, and we are excited to have you here. In this episode, we will be focusing on sexual assault awareness. Today, you will hear from our guests as we discuss the movement, statistics, the road to healing, and provide resources to those who may have been a victim of sexual assault. I will now go ahead and let everyone introduce themselves. If you could state your name, pronouns, major, and position in WSGA, that would be great. Hi, my name is Katherine Cook. My pronouns are she, her. I am majoring in secondary education with a focus in math, and I am a senator in WSGA. Hello, my name is Eric Rostrom. I am a political science major with a minor in economics. Um, and I am the current allocations chairperson in WSGA. Hi, my name is Haley Molina. I am a history major with a specialization in secondary education, and I'm the vice chairperson in the allocations committee. Now, before we begin, I wanted to give everyone listening a brief history of this month. The 1970s saw a significant growth for prevention and awareness of sexual violence across the country following the general trend of social activism throughout the decade. By the late 1990s, many advocates began coordinating activities and events throughout the month of April, advancing the idea of a nationally recognized month for sexual violence awareness and prevention activities. Sexual Assault Awareness Month, also known as SAM, was first observed nationally in April 2001. Awareness for the campaign culminated in 2009 when Barack Obama was the first president to officially proclaim April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Now, after learning a little bit about the history for everyone, how does it make you feel that it almost took 40 years for a month to be proclaimed Sexual Assault Awareness Month? Uh, Typical, honestly. I can't say I'm surprised. Um, I think it mostly stems from uh, the thought process that people should not recognize that they have been sexually assaulted, that people should be ashamed of it. Um, I think this month is, it was created to empower and spread awareness. And uh, for the longest time, uh, people didn't want to talk about sexual assault. They didn't want to acknowledge that it happens. They didn't even want to acknowledge that it could happen to anyone or that they have participated in sexually assaulting someone. So I think it comes from a long line of people not wanting to acknowledge that it's a problem because it's, uh, they should be ashamed. The victim should be ashamed, not those who sexually assault people. And if we look at people who are in power and they honestly do a lot of sexual assault and they we we see recently a lot of people in power have come out and um have been called out for sexually assaulting and people in power put together these um monthly uh, 
awareness organizations and stuff. So it's so hard to overcome that. And I think that's why it took so long for it to be acknowledged. Yeah, I mean, that was some great stuff said by Catherine. I really agree that it definitely has to do with the priorities of the people in power. Um, and I just definitely don't think it was a priority when it, it definitely should be. I mean, we'll definitely talk later in the podcast to just about how many things this affects somebody's life. Um, you know, how, how deeply it affects their life when something like this happens to them. And it's, it's really a big social issue that affects all of us indirectly or directly in many ways. And the fact that it hasn't been a as much of a priority over other things that have happened earlier in, uh, in the United States, I mean, just shows that um, there is probably a problem connected with power. Yeah, all of you bring up some really good points. I think another thing to think about is just, um, again, going back to those generational priorities. But I also think it's important that people understand that when they mean the 1970s, and that's the beginning of a growth. That's mostly just, I would say, our history of the starting from the 1970s and when we started to actually recognize it. Because my fear would be that people would misconstrue that, oh, sexual violence or sexual assault prevention, that stuff only started happening in the 1970s. Like, no, it's actually been here since most likely the dawning of humanity. It's just that we actually have a name for it and we actually know what it is. And a good example I can think of is going back to like Greek mythology, the story of Medusa, where people often like to blame Medusa for she made herself uh, have snakes as her hair. She did this. But when you actually study it, technically she is a victim of sexual violence but you don't really hear about that you mostly hear about she did something to deserve this rather than her being a victim of this um i think that's you know a great thing to point out i think another great thing to uh recognize is that this is just uh an american um you know awareness month it's not celebrated around the whole world and although I don't know specifics of what other every country how they recognize uh, sexual assault I know that um, there's a lot of places who still are stuck in that mindset of we will not recognize and we will not um, talk about that through my own personal research of Russia um, and their recent passage of a, um, you know, a decriminalization of uh, sexual violence in couples um, if they're married just had some really terrible effects in the country. But I also know there's other countries too with women's rights issues can be um, a major play in how this works and about how things are actually criminalized. Because it's one thing to have a law, but it's also another thing to see how those laws are carried out. Um, you know, and in, in a lot of places, there is difficulty in victims coming forward and being able to talk about it and being able to actually get anything done. And, you know, some people might get weighed down by all of the, the months that we have for many different things, but maybe that's good that they're getting annoyed because then they think about it. Um, or otherwise, we don't think about these issues and they continue. Moving on a little bit, um, I wanted to share some statistics and get your thoughts and opinions on them. The first one is every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Now, how does this make you feel? Like it's definitely not okay. And 
thinking about it as well, like sexual assault also comes in many forms. And I don't think people realize like, you know, either it's in, you know, big ways or small ways. I think people always think of the more drastic ways, but every story is valid and every, it still happens in every way and it's all important. And so I think about that and it makes me feel, yeah, horrified. It makes me horrified to have kids. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's one of those things that um, you can throw out a number where it's like every year this happens or every every month this happens. But when you really break it down, if it's every 73 seconds an American is sexually assaulted, that's just terrifying. It, it's terrifying and it's it just it blows your mind how it is still so widely accepted because you know, you read that statistic, the other thing you've got to keep in mind is every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulting someone. Like that, the statistics goes both ways. So that also means that there are people out there that every 73 seconds are sexually assaulting another person. Yeah, definitely. To give everyone a bit of perspective, um, my timing is probably off on this, but I looked at back at the beginning, it was 2.13. And so now it's 13 minutes later um let's see there's 60 seconds in a minute we've been doing this for 13 780 divided by 73 so if my math is right since we've been talking approximately either 10 or 11 people have already either committed a sexual violence act or have been sexually assaulted so think of putting that in perspective how important do you think this month is um well it's i mean it's extremely important I mean, it, it makes you think about all of what all don't you know and what it is, is all hidden behind um, what we see as normal, what is hidden behind what we see is already normalized. I think like Catherine said, you know, we've normalized so many behaviors that just might not be helpful. And it's also, I think, a good call to action because we can go backwards in this. We can get worse than this already is. Um, and it's already so bad. It, I, I think it's a call to action to analyze our own behaviors to see how they might, you know, possibly encourage other people or, or how we could maybe discourage other people in behaviors and actions that might lead to, to bad behaviors. I, I, one thing I think of specifically is the sort of American drinking culture and, um, you know, how that could possibly be a be an effect on this. Um, you know, just how sometimes people see inebriation through alcohol as a method to, you know, sleep with somebody and how that can be super, super harmful. Um, but I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up. Now, one common misconception is that only women and girls are victims of sexual assault, but in reality, men and boys and honestly, anyone can be victims. Now, looking at college, one, another statistic is that males between 18 and 24 who are college students are approximately five more times likely than non-students of the same age to be a victim of rape or sexual assault. Now, kind of discussing everything that we've talked about, it's definitely been more feminine whenever we talk about these victims and assaults. And so it's pretty rare to hear reports about men being victims of sexual assault. Now, for everyone, why do you think that is? 
Um, there is a, I don't know maybe what this stems from, but I know there is a cultural expectation within the United States um, of men wanting sex or liking sex. And so, you know, there's an idea that you cannot sexually assault a guy because they want it. Um, that's probably a rough oversimplification of, of the idea, but, you know, ideas that aren't challenged within us are often really stupid. It's only until we say them out loud do we really understand how off, like, how much they don't make sense. Um, and so there's an expectation that you, that men are just want it. And so I know um, within, even within my own personal experience, you know, that's been a, a miscommunication is that, you know, me as a man, I would naturally be like, I guess, other guys or, or maybe no one's like this. And it's just a complete and utter misconception that, you know, even if you're inebriated, even if you're, um, you cannot consent, that they'll like it anyway. And so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree. I think um, the reason it's between, you know, this specific age range is um, probably likely because of college life and uh, drinking and dorm life. And there's definitely that uh, double-sided stigma that, you know, we always hear the things about like um, men assaulting women. And it does happen, obviously, all the time. But uh, I think one of the reasons that we don't hear so much about um, men being sexually assaulted is because they don't feel that empowerment to speak on it. Kind of like how Eric was saying, like, they feel like they can't say, oh, this person just sexually assaulted me because, you know, everyone around them would be like, well, did you not like it? Is that not what you want? You know, they, they get questioned about why they don't want to constantly engage in sexual activity. And I think it, it's so harmful to um, all the men who have experienced sexual assault because I actually know so many men that sometimes I'll just be talking to them and we're just having like normal conversation and they'll they'll say something about an experience they've had with someone and I just kind of have to be like you do realize that that was assault and they're like oh no they were just they were just messing around it's no biggie like all this stuff like they don't even fully understand that they have been assaulted and that's something that they don't have to let happen and so I think it, it goes back to just like not being taught like as a society we do not teach sexual assault prevention we do not teach consent as well as we should and so i think specifically for men the party culture just really i feel like so many women because i also have talked to women before and they'll talk about like oh yeah well i just you know i just got on him because i know he wants it anyways no i think women are not taught as well that consent is something that not only they should um, always speak about, but they, they need to apply it to other people. I think too many people um, just think they are the exception when it comes to consent because they just assume that it's wanted. And especially for men, kind of what Eric was saying, like they assume that the man wants it because we all are taught that men are just sex crazy and they, they want it no matter what. And that's just another horrible, horrible stereotype and stigma that's just really hurting our society. I want to mention that, like, also, I think with men, sometimes, like, trauma 
isn't always talked about because there's like this whole thing of, oh, you don't need to bring that up ever. Like with my dad and rather discussing his problems, he had to be like this tough macho man, you know, he can't ever, he can't ever be soft. He had to act tough. And it's like, he never talked about those problems. And that resulted in him being an alcoholic and him being, you know, using drugs to help cope for the things that had happened to him that were traumatizing because he never opened up ever. Yeah, all of you bring up excellent points. I think another good point is kind of looking at um, homophobia, specifically in men, because uh, I feel like a lot of them will not speak on it for fear of others saying, oh, you're gay now, um, continuing to reinforce those homophobic ideals, when in reality, no, that you being a victim of sexual assault or rape or anything, if you didn't give consent, that's an assault. Um, yeah, I know someone who uh, has had that happen to them where they kind of out of nowhere, the um, assaulter of the situation opened up about the experience that they had with this person I know. And then it was in a school and everyone, all of this person's friends just started asking this person, are you gay? Like, and then uh, their parents found out. And then their parents, their parents are very religious. Like they are not okay with people who are uh, gay, non-binary. No one, like they aren't okay with that. And then this person just had to deny whatever was just talked about because they were afraid of losing connections with people because of homophobia and all this other stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's honestly sad that you don't have the platform or the space to speak about your own assault. And so Haley, I believe you've mentioned this a little bit in your um, point, but the last statistic is sexual violence can have long, long-term effects on victims. 84% of survivors who were victimized by an intimate partner experienced professional or emotional issues, including moderate to severe stress or increased problems at work or school. Now, I know we mentioned this a little bit about having a support system, but after hearing this last statistic, how important do you think it is for victims to have a support system? Uh, I think it's extremely important. Um, It's not only important for those to uh, get the help they need for the, the trauma that comes from it, but it's also important to have a support system so in the future you have those people who will look out for you and protect you in situations where it could happen again. I feel like um, so many people, um, once they are like, let's say they, they go out to a bar or something and they are kind of sexually harassed, they feel less uh, safe to, you know, um, ca- uh, to call out that person. And so they need people with them to uh, kind of support them and help them along, especially if they have that trauma from previous experience, they need that help with them. But also just in the like emotional uh, side of it, it's uh, you need that support system to let you know that it's not your fault. That's like the biggest issue uh, that we see, the biggest, um, I guess, thing that comes after sexual assault is believing the, uh, the victim believes it's their fault. And whether that comes from the person who assaulted them telling them that it was their fault or just their own internal thoughts. 
And so having a support system that is there to, you know, listen and be like, you know what, I know that you're saying that you drank too much. And I know that you're saying that you wore this specific outfit. And I know that you said that earlier at that time at the bar, you said you wanted it. And when you went back home, you said you didn't. That means you were sexually assaulted. Nowhere at any point in this was it your fault. And I think once victims are able to recognize that it's not their fault, that is what really propels them into healing. And I think um, rereading this statistic, uh, the, the first part, it says 85, 84% of survivors who were victimized by an intimate partner. I think that is just another, just a whole nother category of sexual assault where it's so important to have a support system that you feel you can talk to, whether it's your friends, your family, that you can talk to and be like, you know, lately I've been experiencing some things and um, I'm not sure if it's sexual assault. Or you can talk about things and they can help you recognize. Because especially when it's with a partner, you can have just these blinds on that you just say, well, yeah, I owe it to them because, you know, they're my boyfriend, they're my girlfriend, they're my husband, my wife, you know, you, you feel that sense of you owe it to them or they deserve it or, well, they bought me dinner. So, you know, I got to put out for them and all this stuff. And so it's just, again, back to that, like that culture of where you need that support system around you to be like, you are still your own person. You deserve consent, no matter who the person is. And it's so important to have those people around you that reinforce that for you. And I think another issue is that uh, some people who experience sexual assault uh, with their partners may not have the, the people around them who think that way. Uh, there, there are people who, depending on their family or friends, um, basically enable the sexual assault. They're like, well, you do owe it to them or, you know, this and that. And, and so it's so important that uh, going back to just we as a culture need to talk about consent and we need to make it known that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what they've done for you. It doesn't matter who they are to you. You deserve consent at any and all times. And so it's, it's important that we, we teach each other and we build those communities of support and that you, you as a person also are looking out for your friends and your family. And whenever they're talking about something and something sounds a little off to you, don't ignore it. Ask them about it. Say, hey, I, you were saying something earlier. I'm, I'm a little worried that you're a victim of sexual assaults. Like, I want you to know that's not okay. And, you know, just being there for them, being like, you know, you can do, you can take this information however you want. I just want you to recognize this because I care about you. And so that's like another way. It's just so important to not only look for people who will be your support system, but also be that for other people. Thank you. Now, this last question is a bit personal and you have every right not to answer it. The last question is, are you a victim of sexual assault or do you know someone who has been a victim of sexual assault? And if you are comfortable, could you describe your emotions and your road to healing? Um, yeah, so my first, um, I think my first experience with fully understanding that someone I know has been sexually assaulted was my cousin. And she's very open and honest about this, which is why 
I um, didn't feel okay to speak on it. Um, she, when I was in high school, she came out about her sexual assault in college and it just really, it really just threw me for a loop. You know, I just, you just don't think that it can and will happen to your family. And then when she, when she would talk about it and it was, it was so amazing how empowered she was. I remember specifically, she, she posted this picture on Facebook and she like wrote, I think it was kind of a trend or something at the time. And she wrote like, I, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. And she like shared about it. And she was like, I'm, I no longer am going to act like this didn't happen because it did happen. It has affected me. It's made me who I am today and I'm going to share it. And so when I think about that, um, it was so hard for me to come to terms with the fact that I had been sexually assaulted. Uh, I, for the longest time, I told myself that it didn't happen or that I must just be making it up or that I, it happened so long ago. How do you even remember what happened then? But it's something that I recently in this year have had to come to terms with. And unfortunately, um, I am someone who has been sexually assaulted a, a number of times. I believe my, my first time I vividly remember being sexually assaulted, I was in kindergarten. So it was, it was very hard for me to even know what was happening. And so when it, when it happened, I didn't know what to do. Um, it was at school, so I didn't know what to say. And I just kind of let it happen, kind of froze and just kind of let it go and let myself just move past it and didn't even attempt to um, recognize it. And then later in life, I believe I was um, in fourth grade, I was um, assaulted by someone very close to my family at my house. So it was, it was very jarring um, to have that happen to someone who knew me and who knew like I was a child and it was very, it was very intense. And then, then again, I wake up the next day and I, I know in my heart that it happened, but I just felt wrong and I felt dirty. And I felt that it, it, I didn't necessarily feel like it was my fault, but I felt like I shouldn't talk about it because it would mess things up for the environment that I was in. I was like, if I spoke about this, they might get in trouble or they might have issues. So for the longest time, I, I still um, struggle with whether I, I should confront this person about what happened. And this happened over 10 years ago. And I, when it comes to my road to healing, it was obviously very long <laughs> because I suppressed it and I almost near blocked it from my mind for over 10 years. And so coming to college, actually the thing that kind of opened it up for me was um, going to counseling for the first time. And one of the very first questions on like your very first day, they were like, is there any trauma you'd like to talk about? And I was kind of like, oh, uh, this happened. I don't know if it really traumatized me though. I don't know if this counts as trauma. And my therapist was like, yes, <laughs> that would be traumatic. And I was like, oh, okay. And so now, especially with like, so many people I know who have come out about their sexual assault have come out about how they, um, they are powerful and they 
you know, are, are a survivor, it's made me feel so much more empowered to not only acknowledge that I've been sexually assaulted, but speak out about it. And I, I think the most important thing that I can do is speak about it because, you know, there's this, that statistic going around that I think we've all seen. 97% of women um, have been sexually assaulted. And when I, when I see that statistic, I am okay with the fact that it's me. I'm okay that I'm a part of that 97%. What, what, what absolutely breaks me is thinking about my younger cousins. I don't have any um, sisters, but thinking about my younger cousins and knowing that statistically, there's no way that they are, they are in the 3%. And that is just absolutely heartbreaking. And that's why, especially in the last couple of months, I felt so empowered to talk about it because I want my sexual assault to bring enough awareness so that that 97 goes down, that 97% goes down and no one feels that they are at fault for what someone else did to them. I want to say, Catherine, that's very amazing that you're able to talk about it now. I want to acknowledge that because I think people need to be acknowledged for like whenever you open up about it, like also just thinking about what you said, you never even talked about the thing that happened. And I think that's also something that needs to be talked about as well as like whenever people tell their stories, they're not going to tell the full hundred percent because if they tell the full hundred percent, it just brings you back to like the most traumatic part of your life. And so whenever you hear someone's story and it's horrible and gruesome, that's not the full 100%. It's worse than whatever they are talking about. Uh, but yeah, Catherine, I'm happy that you are here talking about it. Now let me talk about my story because my story is really fucked. Excuse me, messed up. Um, so I was 13. I was in middle school and we had this American Reels class and we were watching a lot of really graphic things in this Reels class and things that had to do with like rape and stuff. And like, it took me a second and then I just stepped out of the classroom and I was like, huh, I think that stuff has happened to me before, right? Um, so I was looking it all up like the next day and I was like getting very invested into it. And I was like, yeah, I think it has. And so then I started to think about it a lot more. And then I started to like, because it was a repressed memory, you know, because traumatic things, they become repressed. And um, then I just started becoming like immediately like depressed from all the stuff that had happened, right? And was it the next year, I think, was when I was beginning to go to like the counselor's office and talk talking about it. And I was like, hey, I think I might be suicidal. And then the counselor, he was like, are you sure? Because like, you know, if you're telling me this now, then we have to like send you to like a hospital and all that. I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, okay, we're just going to send you to the hospital. Um, but before we, they had to, they had to contact my mom. My mom didn't know about any of this. Right. So I'm sitting there in the office with the principal, the SRO and the counselor. And, um, they're just like, so are you sure like it happened? And I want to make a point that never ask someone, are you sure it happened? Because like the school officials 
ask me that. And that still just blows my mind to this day. Um, but I never actually like came forward with whatever happened and like make it like an official like statement or whatever, because to me, I also didn't want to mess up like my family life or anything like that. Or cause I w I'm worried about like how it would affect their lives and what would happen to them. And so getting mad about it was all I could do until you kind of just grow up with it. And you kind of learn by yourself that in order to survive, you have to forgive and forgiving, I think is one of the most hardest things to do. And you have to do it because you love people, right? Cause you can't be mad at them all the time. Cause that's exhausting. Right. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's my whole experience. Wow. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing, Haley. I know that must be like very hard, very hard to talk about. Um, some of the things when you were speaking, it, it really um, just made me think that there's also um, this big stigma and problem with speaking about your assault because of how it may affect those around you. And I know, um, like I said before, I, I still have not confronted um, the people who have assaulted me. And I don't know if I will. Um, that's completely my choice, is completely anyone's choice if they choose to confront those who assaulted them. Some people need that for healing. Some people, you know, need that to just so they can move on and they can grow from it. And some people, some people can't go back to that person. Some people will hurt more. So it, it's important for when you are, if you are a victim of sexual assault, it's important to um, see what's best for you. I think so many people, um, you, you hear about like, you know, you go and tell someone that you were sexually assaulted and they're like, let's go to the police. Let's go, let's go do this. They try to, they try to fix it for you. And that's, it just doesn't work for everyone. You know, for some people going to the police, trying to get, you know, in terms of sense of justice, not that the person that sexually assaulted them doesn't deserve it, but some people just, it, it's so much more harmful for them. And um, another piece that's like, it's very hard is um, being able to tell your parents, being able to tell your family. And it's, it's another thing I'm still struggling with. I haven't um, fully... I guess, come out to my family about my sexual assault um, because I know that it, it's just so hard to tell the two people who love you and have tried everything they can do to protect you the most that it, I, I was still assaulted in their home. And so it, it's, it's so difficult to go through this process and the healing process has no time limit. There, there is no, you should be over this in a year or two years. Uh, this is something I'm going to have and potentially struggle with for the rest of my life. And I fully acknowledge that. I'm very happy I'm getting the steps to heal fully uh, in terms of going to counseling, which I highly recommend as just a plug for anybody and everybody. Um, counseling can be so, so beneficial. But um I, I think too many people uh, like to rank their assaults. They like to be like, well, 
I, this only happened to me and some people have had it way worse. So I shouldn't be having problems with this. I shouldn't be feeling so bad because so many other people have had worse, and I say that in quotations, sexual assaults. And that's another thing, a cycle you can't get yourself into. You can't blame yourself for how you are dealing with something that happened to you, something completely out of your control. You, you can't get in stuck blaming yourself, not only for what happened to you, but for how you're dealing with it. And I think um, recognizing that is, is going to help lead you down that road of healing that everybody needs. I wanna give a huge thank you to Catherine and Haley for sharing your stories as well as just mentioning your road of healing. And then I love how both of you mentioned that each person's road of healing is completely different. For some, it's going to the police. For some, it's having to hold off years until you can start talking about it. And just being able to show that no matter what, that there are people who love you, there are resources that you can go to. And then overall, you should never feel that you are the victim because it's not your fault. It, it was never your fault from the beginning. It wasn't what you wore, what you said, how you were dressed, how, what your body language was telling people. It doesn't matter. So I appreciate how brave and courageous both of you are, as well as sharing um, motivation and advice for those who may continue to be struggling with this. Now, to wrap this up, uh, I wanted to give everyone some perspective. By the time this episode is finished, almost 33 people would have experienced some type of sexual assault. This problem is not something that will easily go away, but it's something that needs to continually be addressed and discussed. So like Catherine mentioned, that one day that 97% can go down and possibly never exist ever again. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault, we have provided a link in the description to a document with local resources that you can utilize. Going back to everyone, I wanted to thank all our guests for coming on today and talking about Sex Assault Awareness Month, about the statistics, history, as well as being brave enough to share your story. And um, do any of you have any closing remarks, advice, motivation? I would just say um, if you are a victim of sexual assault, you are loved. You are not the only one, and it's not your fault. Um, kind of, yeah, as like, Catherine said, you know, it's not your fault. Um, if you're in the mindset where you're just kind of putting it off like, oh, it's not bad. It's definitely something. And it is definitely something that you should totally discuss with someone at some point. Um, also, I want to mention real quick, like, you know, if someone's coming to you, like, don't ever ask, are you sure it happened? You know, just be like, the best thing to start with is, I'm sorry, what can I do? You know? Yeah. Seek professional help or seek the help that you're comfortable with first. And, you know, baby step any helps is better than no help. Thank you all for sharing those. I think it's definitely going to mean a lot to survivors. Um, I also want to give a thanks to all the listeners out there who are still with us. Lastly, make sure to follow us on our social media at your WSGA on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook at Washburn Student Government Association. Make sure to be on the lookout for the next episode on April 23rd, 9 a.m. Central Time, where we will be discussing Gabriel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>